Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, everyone. I'm Anka Corbin, your host today on this Globig Podcast. Our hot international expansion topic is how to do business successfully in Australia. And our guest expert is Raghu Bargava. Raghu is an award-winning and experienced financial executive, an entrepreneur, and a great leader. He's the co-founder and CEO of Global Upside Corporation, and that includes Global Upside, Global PEO Services, Mihi, and Gava Talent Solutions. So it's a conglomerate specializing in international business, and they operate in over 150 countries. Raghu, welcome. Thanks, Anke. So I always love um, having you on this because one of the things I've learned over our different podcasts is that you just have this amazing wealth of knowledge and it kind of goes across a ton of different topics. So I always appreciate and I never know what to expect and it's always really awesome. So I'm really excited to have you as my guest today. Thanks. So one of the things with Australia, and this is true for other English-speaking countries, is that as a U.S.-based um, company, and you know many of our clients are U.S.-based, kind of going international, we always over-assume that we know what a country is like, and we always underestimate how different they are. And that's especially true when it's an English-speaking country. We always think, well, they're just like us, so everything is really familiar, and of course we're going to be really similar. So that's where I want to start. What do you find are some of the biggest differences between the U.S. and Australia that companies typically are unaware of when they expand their business? So I think... uh some of the differences so english no doubt is a common language so that helps us communicate that makes life a little easier but uh, as you know anke even you and i both living in the us have a different uh, accent and as you go overseas uh, it's not just an accent issue it's also the words are different sometimes many times most times so what you're seeing is a, a communication challenge is where it starts and then in the U.S., where it is the ultimate capitalist country, you see that doing business is very, very easy. Uh, as you go outside of the U.S., what you don't understand is there's a lot of stuff that is dictated by law that you don't think about in the U.S. For example, uh, in Australia, the company law dictates that your year-end is June 30th. In the U.S., your year-end could be anything you pick. Most companies do pick December 31, which is actually different than Australia, but you could pick June 30th, you could pick March, you could pick January. I mean, Cisco is July 31st. Uh, so there's a lot of differences uh, because there's a the company law concept is much, much stronger outside of the U.S. and, and in particular in Australia versus in the U.S. So that's the driver of the biggest differences. Mm, that makes sense. Let's start with some of the things that are really important to know around entity creation and setting up, assuming that 
a company is like full in and they're really going to go open an office. And you guys just ended up, you just did this yourself, right? You just expanded. Not only do you have tons of companies do it, but you just opened your own office. So this should be really fresh for you. Yeah, we just uh, we established a subsidiary in Australia about now, I think, two years ago. So we ate our own dog food, uh, so to speak. But uh, what you are referring to more importantly is that, uh, and that was with our PEO business, we had to establish our own entity. But recently we hired uh, people in our Australia office uh, to work for Global Upside versus for our clients. So that was an experience. And uh, like you said, we had gone in to Australia two years ago um, to, to help our clients uh, on the PEO model, even though we've had clients there for about 10 years. But as we started to hire our own people, we were all in, absolutely all in, because we're not hiring these people on an experimental basis that, hey, look, if it doesn't work out in three to six months, we can just shut it down and move on. No, we are committed to Australia. We are actually trying to hire more people between now and year end. So there is a growth strategy for Australia. And some of the challenges you face is, uh, and I will tell you, we there was two of us that went down to Australia to do some of the paperwork we had to do, for example, our own bank account. And um, this is a challenge you face in many, many countries where you cannot, you cannot open a bank account uh, remotely. Um, and, and the banker wants to see you uh, personally, as well as, you know, prove a copy of your passport, uh, prove that you are who you are saying you are, and plus many other documents most times. And, and that becomes very challenging. So when I went down with one other individual from our office, um, it was about taking care of the bank account need, but also more importantly, interviewing and hiring people. And uh, think about it. You don't have any presence there. You don't have any people there. So where do you do this? You don't have an office. So we had to figure out with our with one of our partners uh, who is based in Melbourne, and we were uh, going to be hiring in Melbourne so we could use their office, tell the people to come there for the interview and post-interview to be able to then uh, work the offer and stuff and things, which, again, I use the word offer from a U.S. perspective, but in uh, Australia, it's an employment contract. It's about 15 pages long. And um, yes, uh, because you do this for a living, it's very much easier for us to do it. But I can tell you, people negotiate these contracts all the time, not just ten, uh, possible candidates, but also clients want to negotiate that and say, I don't like this in the template. I don't like that in the template, even though a lot of that is governed by law. Mm-hmm. And so it is a challenging environment to go open an office elsewhere. Did you find it was helpful? Because you mentioned that you had some partnerships that were already based in Melbourne specifically. So would you recommend to companies that are thinking about this is really consider working together with companies that already have a footprint in the area? Yeah, so, you know, the the... There's a lot of challenges, can't emphasize that enough, but how do you overcome those? And really, there are two ways to think about this. One is to have a global partner like Global Upside that can help you sitting here as to what all you need to do. So when you go to Australia to open the bank account, we will set up everything from here 
so somebody can even pick you up from the airport and drop you back after everything is done. But and global upside is a bad comparison when I go to Australia because I know I've been doing business in Australia for about 30 years. So I know how the system works. I know a lot of people there. I know a lot of stuff about Australia. So for me to open a door or make something happen is much easier than if you were just like, yeah, I'll find local partner. Well, how will you find the local partner? How mm-hmm. will you know that this partner is legit and capable of delivering everything you need to get done? And knowing that, or or how do you even find the candidates that you want to interview? We have a staffing division. We work with them to find and narrow down. We've talked to some of these people over the phone to narrow down the couple of people that we wanted to meet that day. I was there for like two days. I can't meet 20 people. I can't start a search there. It all has to be staged. And that's how you have to think about going into a foreign country. What all actions need to be taken, some sequentially, some in parallel, so that when you get to that final time date of being present in uh, that foreign country in Australia, everything is lined up. When you were thinking about opening this office, how much time in advance did you allocate to know that, all right, bank account might take a while, finding the right office, registration, like, did you start a year in advance, six months in advance? Is Australia one of the faster countries to set up in, or are they actually uh, slower? Or So give us a little bit of a sense within for Australia specifically. Yeah, so setting up an entity in Australia is very easy. It's uh, literally once you submit the paperwork, you will have an answer next day within 24 hours. So setting up the entity, piece of cake. But then comes step two, which is the registration. So it's like buying a car without an engine. That's the incorporation piece. But now putting that engine in it or getting the registration done, the government actually has 30 days to respond to you. Typically, it doesn't take 30 days, but that's the law. Uh, They have 30 days. So what you have to think about is, is if you're starting from scratch, that is, are all of these things done? Because without the registration, the company is not recognized, which means you can't go to the bank and open a bank account. You can't hire people because you cannot register for payroll taxes. You cannot do a lot of stuff that needs to be done. For us, it was a little different because, like I said, our company, our own subsidiary is about two years old there. So lots of things were already in motion and everything. So we didn't need to worry about all of this. We already had people working for our clients under that umbrella. All we had to do was figure out the people aspect of who we wanted to hire. And for that, you have to start anywhere from uh, a month plus uh, in advance so that you know, you've written the job description, you've done the research, you know the compensation that you would have to pay, all of that. And then you're going to hire a staffing firm. Like I said, we have our own, but you're going to hire a staffing firm to help you find the candidate. And then once all of this lines up, then you say, okay, I will be there on such and such date. So can those candidates be available on that day? And, and like I said, you don't want to interview 20 people, maybe three, maybe four at the most. And if you think about it, an hour's worth of interview time with each candidate, well, that's half a day's worth of work. Mm-hmm. And what if somebody's running late and things? So typically, my recommendation is to do this over a two-day period, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, if there's any issues, delays, commute issues. Melbourne has bad traffic. Sydney has worse traffic. So you look at those, 
and and you know you've got to think about the logistics of what applies here in the silicon valley applies in many other countries many other parts of the world let's stay on the the hiring topic for a little bit too how did you find um as if i mean you already had a footprint but in general how is hiring in Australia? Is it very, very competitive? Is it tough as a new company to get the talent that they want? Is it important to maybe warm up a market before you go there so that you can attract the right people? What are you finding? And then we could talk a little bit about salaries and benefits and all of that sort of thing in a minute. Yeah, so a little bit of talent depends on um, what you're looking for. Um, if you're looking for somebody, say, as your country manager or a region manager, uh, it's a little bit more challenging to find the right people because there are fewer of those versus if you're looking for some engineer. Now, if you're looking for one or two engineers or one or two sales guys, I, it is easier than if you were wanting to build a research center in Australia and you said, hey, I need uh, 50 engineers to be hired. Mm-hmm. Then you have to evaluate what geography makes the most sense. Is it Melbourne? Is it Sydney? Is it some other location? And and uh, there's obviously a cost of living difference. So Melbourne is the most expensive city in Australia. And uh, housing is extremely expensive. So is that the right place for the talent? Yes, you will have, uh, you kind of have to think about this, that you will have to pay a little bit more because the cost of living is higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great place to live. And similarly in Sydney, um, real estate is more expensive. Um, so your office space is going to cost you more. You go up into an A-class high-rise, it's going to be even more expensive. So these are factors you have to consider over and above just the timing of how long it's going to take you to find somebody. And then... I was just going to say on the staffing side, on the recruiting side, you also have to worry about um, notice periods. So most countries have, because employment is by contract, you have contractual notice periods. So uh, 30 days is very common. Depending on the level of the person you're hiring, a country manager would most probably have 90-day notice period. So you kind of have to worry about that in your whole uh, plan of, uh, say, going live or having those people on your payroll, that even though you've interviewed them and, you know, by the time you sign them up, it's 30 days and then another 90 days, possibly 30 to 90 days for them to start. Yeah, I think that's a really important consideration, which I don't think we would take into, you know, we don't have in mind just because we don't have that sort of a notice period here. Yeah. So then once you do find the right talent, what are some of the expectations and also kind of requirements that are unique for benefits and salaries and kind of around, you know, labor laws and and even just, like I said, the expectations, not just even the laws? Yeah, and, um, you know, in the U.S., uh, at least in the Silicon Valley, what you see a lot of is that people want a good salary, they have expectations about some stock options and stuff. And then uh, the benefits is kind of like less important because, hey, I'm only going to be here for a couple of years and I don't care about, as an example, pension or uh, even though there is a lot of companies offer a 401k plan, matching may or may not be as important for that individual employee. 
but a lot of these things are are very critical overseas where people are they may not stay longer than two years but it is important for them to have uh, in in um, the equivalent of the 401k in Australia is superannuation or pension and and there is an expectation that the company will have a pension a superannuation program set up and that there will be some level of contribution matching of that so if you don't match anything then maybe the candidate doesn't want to come work for you and i'm not talking about just matching the bare 1% or something like that some decent number matching also benefits uh, you know the most countries outside of the us are socialist countries so they have social medicine programs but which are which are statutory so uh, all employees have certain level of coverage uh, for their insurance programs but but over and above that what is known as supplemental programs so they expect that you will enhance their basic healthcare or basic vision or basic dental programs so that will allow them as an example to go to a private doctor versus just going to the government hospital and and getting treated for free uh, and those are the kind of things that you have to evaluate uh, both from a geography perspective country perspective as well as from the industry perspective so if you are in the high tech industry you're typically offering better benefits than if you were just in the manufacturing business or many other businesses that typically don't offer as a, um, as a healthy benefit plan as the technology companies do is there any sort of expectation around a 13th month as a bonus or which you find in a lot of countries or is it really whatever the salary is that you agree to and contractually have, that's what they anticipate or is there above and beyond as well? No, you know, Australia is one of those countries where you get 12 paychecks, one, one a month kind of thing and you divide your, whatever your total comp is, if it's $120,000 a year, you're just getting $10,000 a month as pay. There is no 13th month comp issues which actually most times is in adding more more cost to the employer because you're dividing your 120,000 by 13 or 14 whatever that number is of additional paychecks that that the employee gets uh, but in you in Australia it's only 12 paychecks so those don't apply okay i just know a number of companies that have miscalculated that by that's quite a big difference for them <laughs> so yeah if you forgot to divide by 14 and divide by 10 12 well what was going to happen is at the end of the year you or twice a year you owe them additional money you just have to pay it yeah you know you have no choice you just have an employee who's a little bit more expensive for you um versus if you were smarter so knowing again this is this is about doing your diligence knowing the right providers knowing the right partners so that somebody's telling you what you have to worry about versus um the hiring in many respects when you once you're done is the easy part because maintaining that employee like how do you make sure that your first employee in a particular country is as connected to the company as your headquarters where everybody sits in the same location and have for a long time and and you know do you go travel there and to connect with them do you bring them to headquarters or bring them to some other um, center of excellence that you may have 
um, while you are building up and strengthening your team in that particular country, all of these things are extremely important to pay attention to and, and have a plan. Do you find that there are significant cultural differences in how people do business and the hours that they keep and the way that they want to be managed? Or is that fairly similar between the U.S. and Australia? So fortunately for uh, for Americans, Australians, uh, the, a lot of Australians' work habits, especially in the technology business, are very similar to us. They'll do whatever it takes to 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 do the work, to get the job done, to make a sale, to develop the product, whatever it is that they're doing for you. Having said that, the vacations are um, sacred to most people outside of the U.S. And, and and they will take their vacations, they will they take their time off, and that is a huge cultural difference between India uh, between U.S. and other countries where they are like, yeah, it's vacation time. I'm going to go with my wife and kids or family or, or friends or whatever it is that they're going to do. They are unwilling to compromise on that. Mm-hmm. Are the times the same or it's like, okay, August, you know, most of Europe rolls up the carpet for August. And, and then again in December, is that similar in Australia or do they have different times where they take their primary vacations? No, their timings are different. They, they have uh, the, the August uh, month off doesn't really apply, but you know Australia being in the southern hemisphere, the weather is opposite of what we face here. So they do take time off around Christmas, but it's summertime for them. They do take time off in the winter, the June July timing, uh, where they are going out skiing and whatnot and stuff. Um, and and those times are, are are sacred for them, like I said, but it doesn't match the European times. Interesting. Are there any other um, HR-related or hiring-related things that you find are really, really glaringly different, or should we jump to the next um, the next topic that I'd love to ask you about? Um, just one other thing in terms of hiring. Uh, we are very used to hiring uh, people that may be living in that country or sending people from overseas, which all of that is possible in Australia. It's a big country. There's a lot of people there, a lot of talent there. The one thing you have to remember is that in Australia, there's a particular requirement that before you can sponsor a foreign uh, work permit, um, the company itself has to qualify as a sponsoring organization. So it's a two-step process to begin with. First, you qualify as a company to be a sponsoring organization. Once that happens, then you're good for life, other than if they revoke your license for some reason, but then you're good for life to sponsor any number of candidates for work permits. Now, keep in mind, you can't just hire foreigners in these countries because they have quota limits and things like that. Mm -hmm. So they are watching out as to how many locals do you have and how many foreigners do you have to be able to say, yeah, we'll give you another work permit for a for a uh, for a national, uh, but many times that might get declined if all you have is a bunch of uh, non-local people working for you. That's important to remember as well, isn't it? You definitely need to have yeah. mostly local, and then every once in a while bring in someone potentially from headquarters or wherever. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of conversation in the news and um, a lot of anxiety in the international 
business world around tariffs and trade issues? Are there any significant things? Are there some things at risk or things to be paying attention to between the U.S. and Australia, for example, or other countries like that? Yeah, so um, every day you open the paper, you hear something about the tariffs with China, and that's mm-hmm. very obviously top of mind for the stock market, for all businesses and stuff in the U.S. Fortunately, um, Australia and the uh, U.S. have very good relations. None of this tariff business. It's very free trade. Um, as, a, as an example, you know, if you wanted to go to Australia as a tourist or uh, for business, uh, you can literally get a visa, online visa, in about 30 seconds of clicking the apply for button. And um, it is very, very easy to do business with Australia. There are no limitations. Uh, obviously, Australia is a huge opportunity for companies that are in the mining business and stuff, uh, natural resources. Australia is a huge opportunity for technology companies because of the level of talent and there are no limitations on these things as such. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I was wondering about that. The other thing I wanted to chat a little bit about is any sort of um, kind of heads up on tax preparation issues, any sort of, Hey, be aware that there's a additional compliance required around this or there, are they very stringent or are they fairly flexible in, and, and, you know, kind of the, t- the taxation, if you will. Yeah, so taxation is, uh, you know, there's two parts to taxation, the direct taxes or income taxes and the indirect taxes or things like VAT. We are very familiar with that term. Mm-hmm. The term that they use in the in Australia is, is a GST, goods and services tax. And um, Australia has an interesting concept that everything is subject to a 10% tax. So it doesn't matter what you buy. It's all subject to the same tax rate. Everybody has to pay the tax. Every buyer has to pay the tax. Obviously, if you're a business, you don't have to pay. You have to pay the tax up front, but then you just get a credit from the government back. So what you're doing is, uh, as it is referred to, is the input-output tax. So when you're buying things, you pay tax on it. When you're selling things, you collect tax on it. And um, depending on which one is the higher amount, you either get a refund from the government or you write a check to the government. And the GST return can be due, say, once a year, if you are a very small company doing very little revenue or very little buying. And as your volumes go up, these the frequency of these returns changes from um, annual to quarterly to monthly and so on and so forth. The other tax that applies to every company in the, in the world uh, every every jurisdiction in the world is is uh, payroll taxes. So if you're going to have people there, then you have to do the net payroll computations. You have to do uh, pay the withholding to the government. There's obviously a component of it that is that the company is liable for, and so all of that has to be computed and paid. Most times, the payroll taxes are due once a month. Um, typically, payday is uh, is uh, the last day or in the last week of the month. It's a once a month payroll in, in for professionals at least. Uh, obviously, manufacturing folks, blue collar workers get paid more frequently. And then taxes are due in the following month, around the middle of the next month. Are there differences in the type of entity you are, similar to here in other countries, or does it is it fairly standard? And do you have to make sure that you're set up 
correctly from the beginning so that your tax structure is also set up correctly. Yeah, so if you know when you're when you're expanding overseas, the first question I think companies should ask themselves is why are they going there? Are they trying to conduct an experiment, so to speak, where let's test the waters, let's see if it all makes sense. If it makes sense, then we'll expand our presence. Or saying, no, no, we are committed to Australia. We are going to go there and we're going to open a manufacturing R&D, whatever it is, and we see that opportunity. So depending on which way you, if you're conducting an experiment, yes, you have to think about how you are setting up yourself because what happens if that experiment doesn't succeed and you need to pull out? So if you've incorporated a subsidiary to conduct an experiment, you have a heavy bill due because you're going to have to shut that entity down at some point. If you are committed to the country, then the right way to go into Australia is to just set up a wholly owned subsidiary. It is very easy, like I said, one day to set it up, another 30-ish days to uh, get the registration done. And as soon as the registration happens, you're in business. And you're in business for a long term. Uh, there are no complications other than if you take that company, that local subsidiary public. Then you have to change the form and do things like that. But most of us are not thinking of, about going public. Going from U.S. to Australia and going public in Australia, most times it is just the subsidiary that is going to help support the business or the sales cycles or whatever it is in that country. So uh, it really doesn't change over time. That's very helpful. Um, all of these things are really, really critical, and I highly recommend that our listeners just you know, give your team a call, go through it, really get a sense of the sorts of things that they need to do before they go, when they're there, and making sure it's a smooth transition. Um, Raghu, was there, are there any other things you want to share that are really specific to Australia that you think our listeners should know about? So we have talked a little bit about the company law compliance because it governs a lot of the rules and regulations that the companies have to operate under. And uh, in that respect, uh, one of the things uh, every company expects to go to go go and file an income tax return at the end of the year, but in Australia you're required to get a statutory audit done, and then that statutory audit has to be the results of that uh, are packaged in what's called an annual report, and that annual report has to be filed with the uh, registrar of companies. You have to remember this because they do give you plenty of time to do this. So there is no rush as such. But if you don't do it, your company may not be able to operate in Australia. And so you kind of have to worry about that uh, as part of your year-end cycle. And if your year-end has changed from June 30th to, say, December, uh, which is fine, which is easily doable, then the timelines, you have to think, keep that in mind because you have about nine months to do this and file it. And so make sure that you have that uh, on your radar. And that's no matter the size of the business. Everyone needs to do this report. Absolutely. It is just part of uh, annual compliance requirements. Mm, very important. All right. Well, that is excellent to know. Raghu, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us again. It's always a pleasure to have you as our guest. Uh, thanks, Anke, for having me here. So to our listeners, just make sure that you join the free resource hub on globig.co. And if you're serious about doing business internationally, the Globig International Business, HR, and Data Privacy Platform connects you to awesome resources just like Global Upside in there and it makes your day-to-day -day much more productive. Thanks for joining us today on this webinar. <laughs>